The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and in fact, all small businesses. And no matter where you are in the world, we're heard everywhere. Thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. This is where all the entrepreneurs come to hear what's going on. Now, we begin each week with a little segment called Bob's Thought for the Day. Sayings that are simple and, you know, get us think. Today, I've got three sayings related to sales, which I think you might be interested in. When we're developing a business, we all need to realize that all business begins with a sale. And most people think it begins with a product, but it doesn't. If you can't sell somebody something, you can't manufacture anything. The accountants have got nothing to count. You don't need receptionists. You don't need staff. You don't need to advertise. You don't need to do anything if you don't sell somebody something. And, uh, you know, we've all got far greater abilities than most of us recognize. We're all capable of achieving what appears to be extraordinary. Where most of us fall down is self-doubt. You know, we, we don't think we're as good as somebody else. We don't think we can just go that extra bit further. So my first saying today is, obstacles can't stop you, problems can't stop you. Most of all, other people can't stop you. Only you can stop you. Boy, how true is that? Gee, it's self-doubt that stops most people from being much bigger successes than they become. I also love this saying by Henry Ford. The man who will use his skill and constructive imagination to see how much he can give for a dollar instead of how little he can give for a dollar is bound to succeed. And I've proved this third saying over and over again. If my CV memorialized all of my failures and mistakes... It'd be a bloody telephone book. You know, we all make a heap of mistakes. The key is to learn from every mistake you make and don't repeat from them. The other key is to continually learn from others so that you don't make the mistakes that they've made. So the saying is, success is the culmination of failures, mistakes, false starts, confusion, 
and the determination to keep going anyway. Success is about being bold. It's about pushing the envelope. Bite off more than you can chew and then just chew like hell and do things that other people just won't do. So I'll bring you some more little words of wisdom next week. You know, I'm still amazed at how many individuals and businesses still do their banking by standing in line at the local physical bank and pay their bills by writing checks. It takes up so much time, it's expensive, and more importantly, it's an absolute pain in the ass. I do all my banking and pay both my personal and my corporate bills online. It takes a matter of minutes. It's extremely easy to do, and I can't imagine going back to the old physical methods. But a new report from Interactive Advertising Bureau has found that mobile users are increasingly using mobile devices to manage their money. The report shows that 58% of consumers regularly use their bank's mobile app and 50% use the bank's mobile optimised website. So we're about 50%. That still leaves a hell of a lot of people that aren't using the web. Mobile users are using their mobile devices for personal finance assistance wherever and whenever they have a need. But many consumers, a lot of people, you know, they still worry about security, even though they're still using them more and more. And most financial apps, you know, they've already got rock-hard security. But consumers still have doubts. And, um, you know, obviously financial services marketers should really emphasise this security in their campaigns. Now, the study found that 52% of mobile users said a concrete guarantee of security would be a requirement for them to use their mobile phones for even more financial services. But it was a really interesting survey. Other results showed 46% of mobile phone users paid their bills through mobile devices. Still, 54% don't. 34% paid for goods and services using a prepaid card on a phone. Still again, 66% don't. And 45% paid for music or apps on a mobile device. Now, I thought that would be much higher. But um, somehow maps and apps and, and music don't seem to be buying stuff. Consumers are willing and they're interested in using their smartphones for making payments. The impediments with retailers and individuals is not currently, it's not set up to accept those payments readily. Using your mobile for banking and other financial transactions, it's increasing exponentially. But more people need to pick it up. For almost half of mobile phone users, paying with the mobile phone has become routine. So what I'm focusing on here is the other 50% that aren't using their mobile phones. And the most popular mobile financial tool was PayPal, which is used by 37% of respondents. I use PayPal. I think it's great. So whether you're an individual or whether you're a business, you need to be utilising online banking for all of your banking needs. You can be absolutely assured that your transactions are safe, 
And you, I think you'll be staggered just how much time you can really save. Another question we get asked a lot on this program is how do companies attract and maintain staff these days in this current environment? In this day and age, you know, competition for great staff is really fierce, particularly in the technology space. And employees are not necessarily motivated simply by money. They certainly don't seem to be as motivated by money as employees in the past. It's very important to create incentives and perks that will motivate staff and build loyalty to the company. You know, a happy, a happy little bunch of Vegemites engaged in your workforce will result in high performance. Companies like SAP offer on-site putting greens. Companies that have on-site coffee shops some have rooms for paintball, and then there's Google, which offers just about on-site everything. But I've spoken to a lot of employers who say, you know, I've only got 20 employees. I've only got a pretty small office, and we can't possibly compete with these big guys. I can't put a putting green in my office. I don't have enough room. And you don't know what you're but you don't need a lot of room, you don't need a lot of employees, and you don't need plenty of money. There was an article in Time magazine this week that talked about the perks that small businesses can offer that can be implemented by pretty much anybody, no matter how big or small they are. And these simple initiatives could make your company much more attractive, not only to current employees, but to future employees. Memcast offers employers employees catered lunches. Now, we know that food makes everybody happy. Mark Bilby, Memcast General Manager of North America, explains that it improves team unification. Mark says, we started catering lunches four days a week to allow employees to take a break, socialise, swap stories and enjoy lunch on us. Food in general is a great unifier of cultures, functions, and personalities. So there's one, lunches. The company Engage has a nap room. Sleeping during the day has been in the news lately, as you know, as a way to re-energise and reinvigorate workers. I know it works for me. Engage took the small windowless room, added a sofa, a blanket, and an alarm clock, turning what would normally be totally wasted space into a very valued place for employee. Shift Communications has recess, you know, just like you used to have at school. So in addition to things like running and walking clubs, Shift offers an occasional spontaneous outside recess break as one of the things to encourage a healthy lifestyle. Not only good for employee morale, but also for the health insurance budget. That's a good idea. Zeusk is one of the companies offering a dog-friendly environment. This not only creates a stress-free environment, which helps relieve employee tension, but it also insists employees who have dog-sitting issues, and there's, everybody seems to have a dog these days. 
There's also a very large number of companies that provide their employees with massages. I used to be one of those companies. Wellness is the hot word in employee perks because healthy, happy employees, they're more engaged and they're much more productive and they're enthusiastic about coming to work every day. And who doesn't love massages? Inpoweredandwayfair.com, they're among the companies who offer their employees on-site yoga. And they say that nothing makes a business more productive than having happy people who are relaxed and who love what they do. This is something that most small companies are seeking. I don't know that yoga would work for me. The last time I tried yoga, I think I fell asleep. Another great perk that benefits the whole community is to provide employees a volunteer day off. Now, I think this is a great idea. This is vacation, but it's got a real purpose to it. Companies allow employees to take a paid day to do some volunteer work in the community. Good for morale, good for the community, and good for the company. Big commerce does not offer its staff passive perks like yoga or massages, but instead holds a boot camp. Big Commerce offers the employees a weekly hardcore boot camp workout with a certified trainer. The class gives employees a guaranteed stress-free hour and builds camaraderie. Yeah, I think I'd miss the um, fitness boot camp. That sounds like a fair bit of hard work to me. Rapid7 does something pretty unusual. They have a no-vacation policy. <laughs> Sounds pretty tough for a start. But instead of having potential employees run a mile from no vacations, people really like it. Rapid7 has no formal policy regarding pay during absences for work and trusts their employees to balance their time off with their work time, making it a good balance for everyone. Apparently, that really works. And Tango offers their team gym membership reimbursement so they don't have enough space to do gym classes on site. So you go out to a gym and they'll pick up your tab. So employees are energised and healthy with no capital expense to the company in buying equipment or allocating space. Finally, another perk that's going gangbusters is offered by companies like Sparta Systems who offer their staff a video and board game meeting space on the basis that employees who play together work well together. Eileen Martinson, Sparta Systems CEO, says games like Scategories provide fun, stretch brains, and encourage cross-departmental interactions. So there you go. No matter how small you are, or how tight for space you are, or how tight for money you are, you can still offer your employees a fantastic work environment that's fun, that's healthy, and improves productivity. Now don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person who's listening, wanting to pick up tips on how to be more successful. That is what we're here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting you, the entrepreneurs. Now we'll be back in just a minute with two great interviews. Firstly, Professor John Adair, who's the chair of the United Nations Strategic Leadership and also with Kirk Pengilly, the guitarist and saxophonist with In Excess, who was with the band over 35 years. They sold over 30 million records 
and performed at over, and he's performed over 4,000 shows with the band. He's a pretty cool guy. And we'll see you on the other side of the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. What makes them interesting, Mm -hmm. unusual, and great is usually indescribable, really. I find that most of the people that I speak to that um, have had exceptional lives and done exceptional things begin pretty ordinary, just like most of us. And uh, this is the the area where this is the time when we find out just exactly what makes them tick. Now, my first guest today is Professor John Adair, one of the world's foremost thinkers on leadership, and he is the current United Nations Chair of Strategic Leadership and the world's first Professor of Leadership Studies. He is also the Honorary Professor of Leadership at the Chinese Executive Leadership Academy in Shanghai. He's published 50-odd books on leadership and organisational effectiveness. I've caught up with Professor Adair in Melbourne, Australia, at the beginning of his Australian tour, as listeners to this program know, I um, originally Australian. I've been living in the United States for 25 years, but I still sound like an Aussie. And uh, he's appearing in Sydney on the 27th and in Brisbane on the 3rd of May. So if you're listening to this show in Australia, get along and see Professor Adair. Professor, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you very much, Bob. You're involved in so many projects around the world. Where do you actually call home? A home is near Guildford, which is conveniently midway between Heathrow and Gatwick. So okay, I'm... I know it well. Yeah. I know that area well. Now, what's the basis of the leadership model that you've pioneered, the, the three circles model? What, what's the basis of that? Well, the basis is um, a universal one, really, namely that all groups and working organizations share something in common, 
mean, they're all uniquely different. They all have their group personality. But rather like you and I, they have needs in common. Right. And these three overlapping areas that to achieve the task, build a team, and develop individuals, those are common to all organizations. You talk about there being a shift from the traditional style of management to a, a concept of business leadership. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's a universal, worldwide revolution really going on. It's a shift from old-style management, downsizing, cost-cutting, rationalizing, that sort of thing, mm. uh, to the concept of business leadership. And I'm using business here in the widest sense. You know, hospitals are business, uh, sure. schools are business, what you're busy in. And I think that all comes about through change. Uh, change throws up the need for leaders, and leaders bring about change. When... when business people and politicians are caught in this cycle of having to produce um, profits quarterly and and um, politicians live on a um, Gallup poll driven mm. cycle. How do you break that? I mean, it, it seems to me the first person who breaks it loses their job. Yes, I think this short-termism is, is a great problem. Because I think leadership is about taking a longer-term view. It's about dealing with the important and not just the urgent. Mm. And so often the urgent drives out the important. And I think strategic leaders need to, to be able to have the kind of vision to take a longer-term view and to work towards um, ends which are, are not uh, immediately present. And I think our culture of... Um, uh, quarterly profits and that kind of thing do rather work against that. So how do you change that? I think you probably have to um, approach it by looking at the culture that we, we create and live in and ask some very, very fundamental questions about the nature of leadership. You know, what is lead leaders for? What is the nature of good leadership and leadership for good? Um, what are the kind of people that we need to uh, put into leadership positions? And these are people who have certain qualities um, and they have knowledge and experience, but also they have vision and skill to achieve long-term purposes and aims in society. And it's education that's going to change it. Last week I spoke um, on this program about, well, I asked the question, is, is China more capitalist than, um, the, than the United States? And uh, <laughs> it, it seems apparent to me that their style of leadership um, lends itself to instant decision-making, long-term decision-making, long-term planning, and while the system of government may not be ideal, it certainly seems to be, to me anyway, putting itself in great stead for the future where it seems to me that the gridlock that we experience um, mm. day in, day out is going the opposite way. So with your dealings with the Chinese, is that a, are they much more open to this sort of leadership? Yeah, um, I think you put your finger on something there. I think the world's body of knowledge now rests on three sort of great pillars, the Western tradition of 
thinking about leadership, the Eastern tradition and the tribal tradition. And both the uh, Eastern tradition and the tribal tradition, a much longer-term view uh, of life. Um, The tribal chief thinks of the long-term future of the tribe and not just the short-term one. And um, if you remember the Japanese um, uh, ascendancy, one of their great, uh, still is true, one of their great assets is they think in terms of a hundred years and not not in ten days or or three months. Mm. And that gave uh, Japanese industry a great, enormous advantage over American industry and led really to this, uh, this shift of interest from management to leadership. I've just written a book which is going to be published early next year on Confucius on leadership. Mm. Uh, and Confucius is the most influential um, creator of values in China, far more influential than Mao Zedong. Sure. Uh, and what you get constantly in uh, Confucian thought about leadership is that this long-term vista that leaders are not in it for the short term. They're certainly not in it for their own self-interest. They're there to serve the interests of the people. And he talks about uh, it taking a hundred years, two or three, four generations for the results of good leadership to work their way out in society. Yeah, I was going going to mention that um, I've done a lot of deals with with the uh, Japanese and um, I I remember having a discussion where I thought somebody had paid too much money for um, a project that they'd, they'd they'd gone into and they said you know maybe in the five years eight years ten year future um yeah we did too we did pay too much but in the long term we think it was a yeah. very wise very smart investment so they've always had this sort of long-term view exactly yeah um, exactly i often talk on the show also about the appalling lack of leadership we seem to get from washington and um both parties. I'm not. I'm not picking one party mm-hmm. over another, but it, mm-hmm. it just seems to me that it's it's very short-term, short-centered driven. Now, yeah. how the hell can you change that? I mean, how do, they can't even talk to each other civilly, and these people are supposed yeah. to all be leaders. Yes, I think I share your view, and I think one of the major problems, and here I speak in my role as the United Nations Chair of Strategic Leadership. Yeah is that the one group of people who've been outside all thinking of any depth or range on leadership have been the politicians. Uh, There's been a kind of apartheid. You know, everybody else in the world, the uh, business people, universities, police, everybody has now engaged themselves in thinking about the nature and practice of good leadership, and often in some depth. But the one group that's been exempt from all this have been the political leaders. And I've been trying to persuade the United Nations not just to do the kind of work I'm doing with them on their own internal leaders, but to lead the world in um, changing that idea. Because the position, Bob, and I'm I'm sure you may agree with this, is the world's problems are getting worse. You know, they're getting bigger. They're getting more difficult to solve. And the kind of leadership we had yesterday is not good enough now. It won't cope with that. And therefore, we we need to breed and develop leaders for tomorrow in quite new way in the political field as well as in all the other areas. Well, these politicians, it seems to me that all these politicians and 
I, I think that um, the global financial crisis also demonstrates that leadership is lacking <laughs> dramatically Absolutely. in a lot of our commercial a... um, areas as well. Um, there are leadership programs taking place all around the world on a daily basis, and that seems to me to have been taking place for 20 years. There's a million yeah. books on leadership. Why is all this failing so badly? Well, you're right. I mean, the spend on leadership development in America uh, last year was $50 billion. And there are 10,000 institutes. There's a vast leadership industry throughout the world, mainly driven and led by American uh, inputs. And, uh, and as you say, it's not delivering the goods. And the reason for that is that it's not based upon a body of knowledge. We do actually have a body of knowledge about leadership, but uh, that is quite different from the sort of fads and fancies of the leadership industry. And until we get back to this kind of bedrock of the world's shared body of wisdom about the nature and practice of leadership, we're not going to grow and develop tomorrow's leaders. So um, that's the reason why, and I'm afraid a lot of this uh, leadership activity doesn't produce the goods. You mentioned the global financial crisis. The Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, who were the, the main uh, four guys in the British scene, uh, mm. spent $20 million pounds on leadership development, and look what it produced. Nothing. <laughs> uh, it produced uh, complacency, it com produced complication, and it produced arrogance. You know, the three great sins of organizations. Yeah. I don't... Uh, I don't mean to be, I don't mean this to sound rude, but um, yeah. I understand you've had a million odd business people go through your program. How sure. Many, how many people actually, out of this million people that have done it, and that's a, that's a phenomenal number. I, I, I read your, your bio with awe, I think it's extraordinary. Yeah. And um, how many people, it's a bit like I give a speech at a conference and I reckon that Two people, mm. two people out of every hundred in the hall actually go away and do something about it. Yeah, the other 98 sure. go back to just being who the hell they were before. So out yeah. of your minion, how effective is your program um, in really making a change in those million, or is it only a small percentage that actually does something? Well, I think one of the um, differences of the approach kind of associated with my name and many of the others that you know and read about in the leadership field, all those, those 80,000 books you mentioned and so on, uh, is this, that it's been around a long time. Yeah. That it, the British Army, Navy and Air Force adopted the three-circle approach back in the 1960s. Uh, and the Australian uh, Army and Air Force adopted it not long after that. And I met somebody from the Australian Air Force this morning, and they're still using it. Yeah. So we've had 40 or 50 years of experience. And if you let me give you one example of how effective it can be, that the, um, the chief of the defense staff in Britain last year was a General Lord Dannett. And he gave a lecture on leadership quite recently, and he said this. He said, for me, the story started in 1968 when I was an office cadet at Sandhurst, age 20, and I was taught the three circles. And he said, that has been the foundation for me of leadership throughout my career. This guy is the top of the profession. And I think that 
story I could duplicate, not just in the military field, because leadership isn't male, it's not military, it's not Western, you know. Uh, There are plenty now of examples of people who have uh, taken this philosophy and turned it into practical results in uh, very different fields. Because what the three circles gives you is the generic role of a leader. And once you grasp that, and particularly if you grasp it when you're young, you know, you can build on that and develop it throughout your whole career. It's a foundation. It's a rock. Professor, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. I hope Not at all. have fun in Australia. I like... I go back there from time to time and I really like it. It's a great country and I hope you teach them some things because I don't think the leadership there is any better than it is anywhere else. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, it's, it's bound to be fun and it's a great privilege to share with Australia, you know, my thoughts and ideas on, on leadership. So thank right. you very much for inviting me on the show. I appreciate your time with such a busy schedule. Now, to find out more about Professor Adair, go to johnadair.com. Co, C-O, dot U-K. That's John Adair, A-D-A-I-R, dot co, dot U-K. And I'll be back after this very short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment where we talk to people involved in show business. Last week, last week, you may recall Dana Steele, the first lady of American rock radio, saying that the great rock and roll stars are also great businessmen, and she gave us some terrific examples. So what we like to do in this segment is to find out what makes rock stars tick off stage. You know, it's very difficult to maintain stardom, So what do our interviewees have, you know, that tens of thousands of other aspiring acts don't have? We talk to them about what they're like, away from the limelight, and what the business side of show business is about. It's not about the public stuff, the crap you read in the tabloids. You know, 
we get heaps and heaps of that. This is about what the people are really like themselves. A few weeks ago, you might recall I had a chat on this program with a long-term friend of mine, seven times world surfing champion Lane Beachley, and we received a great response to that program. At the time, I mentioned that Lane was married to Kirk Pengilly, who is the legendary guitarist, saxophonist, and backup vocalist for In Excess. In Excess are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've sold in excess of 30 million records, have three Grammy nominations, and Kirk has been with the band for 32 years. That's more than all of my marriages combined. He's just back from a European tour, and I'm pleased to have Kirk on the line. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, Bob. Really good. Thank you. Good. Now, you live in a hell of a busy household. Um, Lane's constantly touring and giving speeches and book signings and working with her fantastic foundation. And you're a touring rock star just back from Europe. So, yeah. two yeah, really... We, we, uh, we have a lot of what we call diary meetings, which is <laughs> sitting, sitting together with our... Uh, with our iPhones and going through uh, the calendar and working out who's going to be where and when and which car, you know, does one of us need or whatever else. Um, so it is a, a constant juggling act, but it, you know, keeps it interesting. That's for sure. I keep. I guess you probably keep Skype pretty busy too. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we we do a lot with phone actually more more than probably Skype. Um, uh, you know, but that's probably because Lane has a deal with one of the phone companies, so she has a free phone. <laughs> How good is that? So you've got, yeah. you've got two really healthy egos under the one roof. What's, <laughs> what's the secret of maintaining a happy marriage like you guys have got under those circumstances? It's got to be hard. Uh, look, I, I think, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the things for us is our, both our sense of humour. Um, that works well. But also, I think... You know, both sort of being in the limelight in our different sort of areas, um, has, I think, has allowed us both to understand and respect um, each other's needs and, and what what each of us sort of do with our career. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, quite often we'll we'll book a date ahead, you know, a couple of weeks or something, and then the night before or whatever, something will come up for lane, and it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll just we'll just do the date another night. We don't sort of kind of get. Um, heated up about things like that. So, you know, it just works well. I mean, we both understand the commitment that we've both made to our careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was speaking to Lane, she said that... Uh-oh. I, I, don't know whether, <laughs> I don't know whether you actually heard it, but she said that you are, at home, the furthest thing from a rock star that one can possibly imagine. You <laughs> potter around the garden, you're a great cook, you do the dishes, even the laundry... <laughs> is that therapy for you after a hectic, stressful tour, or does it keep you grounded, or are you just naturally a sensational husband material? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm the I'm the wife, I think. I think mean, that's how it works. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's definitely part of that. I mean, I grew up in a, a very isolated. Um, isolated childhood so during my teen years you know I, I craved company I craved um, I guess being the, the clown amongst a, a group of people and and you know I wanted to be accepted and all that because my, my earlier childhood was, was sort of so isolated mm. but uh, once you know fame and fortune came with the band um, I found I, I sort of went the opposite way and actually 
kind of became private again uh, because it takes up so much time and people demand so much of your time uh, at all times. Uh, I find that I, I do like to sort of hibernate at home and potter around and cooking was something that I that I started really as soon as I left school. I got into uh, into cooking and um, and so I don't know. I just I think. You know, just a bit of a homebody um, because it is the contrast of the lifestyle on the road. It is good, isn't it? I mean, I, I travel a lot um, and giving speeches and things. Nothing, nothing as glamorous as you, but it is great to sort of get home and put your feet up and watch a bit of telly and just veg out. Yeah, and shut down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's one of the things I really need to do after uh, you know after we do a show. Uh, anywhere, really. Uh, most of the time, um, I mean, occasionally a couple of drinks down the bar or something, but most yeah. of the time, go back to my room and uh, put put the tally on for a little while, and uh, it, it, it's, it just seems to be a really good way for me to unwind from, from sort of all the, the hype and adrenaline of doing a live performance. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about the business side of being a global rock band. Um, in order to stay on top of your game, you need to get bookings and organise tours and maintain publicity and write songs and plan recordings and all the, and plus all the legal and accounting and all those complications. Do you have a team of people that take care of all those responsibilities, or does the member of the, or does the band sort of do it themselves, or how does that all work? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, these days definitely there's more um, more participation from us, from the band members. Yeah. Um, really, just a matter of of, uh, of of you know streamlining the business and cutting costs, and <laughs> by doing that, you know, heads roll, and you end up having to uh, to do a lot of it yourself, yeah. which is kind of good. I mean, it obviously makes us all more responsible, but it also uh, you know keeps us in touch, probably more so than perhaps we were in the. 80s and 90s with what's actually going on. Um, so it, it, it is a good thing, and, and, and yes, it is, it is a business. It's not just all glamour and, you know, um, prancing around the world and going to parties. Yeah. Um, although that happens. But uh, it, it is definitely a business, and it has to be run like a business, and um, we're lucky where our key people that we do have with us uh, have been with us for a long time, and uh, and uh, are excellent at their job um, and know our needs as a business. And equally as important, you can trust them and know you're not getting had. Exactly, exactly. I that's think, a major uh, problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that you know, in any business, there's uh, there's you know unscrupulous people. Um, but uh, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the entertainment industry, I guess, has been known for perhaps having a bit more of a percentage of. Of crooks and robbers, because I think you know, not so much these days, but certainly back in the seventies and eighties and and all that, you know, uh, the musicians all they wanted to do was go and play, man. Yep, that's right. <laughs> they didn't want to worry about the business; they just wanted to go and get chicks and you know, <laughs> and play a gig. Yeah. But uh, it definitely became a, a you know a much more legitimate business in the late seventies, certainly into the eighties. And I guess if you're going to be a crook, you might as well be a glamorous crook, right? <laughs> exactly, <yes. laughs> now, both uh, Lane and yourself, you've been very active in charity work. Um, you're an ambassador for the I Foundation, and you've also been very supportive of the Golden Stave, the um, musicians and entertainers charity for kids. And I'm on the committee yep. of that, and we appreciate your contribution. And we tried to get you this year for a gig, but you were uh, for the for the luncheon, but you were otherwise engaged. Um, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the iFoundation? Yeah, well, the iFoundation, um, 
that was something I, it was kind of purely by accident initially, but I was looking for kind of, uh, you know, so, some way of giving back in certain areas and all that, and I ran into a, an ophthalmologist on a flight back from LA to Sydney, and uh, we got to talking, and, and as it turned out, they were setting up sort of a, a foundation to raise funds for, um, well, you know, for, for basically scientific work in eye health and and to raise awareness and all that. And he put it to me on that flight, um, would I be interested? And I sort of said, let me get back to you. And I thought about it for a while. And I actually had a pretty interesting eye history. I nearly went blind uh, in the mid-80s with glaucoma. Mm. And so I guess I felt a real sort of, Affinity. I felt that I actually had, you know, some some sort of connection with what the Eye Foundation are all about, and went from there. So I've been their peer ambassador for about, you know, five years, I think. Yeah, um, it's, it's fantastic because I, you know, Lane's charity's terrific. Um, yeah, and, uh, and for the stars. Yeah, yeah, it's, and, and it's it's wonderful that you guys get so involved in helping others. Um, one of the most difficult things to achieve in any business is to have a sort of group of people who work together as a cohesive team. I'm, let people fall apart very easy, and have a common sense of purpose and drive. You know, it's, it must be so much more difficult when you're dealing with a group of highly talented, emotional, fairly well-off people who live in each other's pockets day in, day out during a tour. So, is there a lot of empathy and understanding among the group, or you do you? Just grin and bear it, or do you each go eat different ways after each show, or how does that? How does that? How come you so? A, a, bit, of, uh, a bit of all of the, yeah, a bit of all of the above, really. Um, I think you know when we first started out, I, you know, in excess is a bit of a freaky animal, really, just because we have been together for well, it's, it's probably you know really thirty-five years, um, even more. So it goes back with some of the connection between us, yeah. but. Um, uh, it's you know we're we're a bit like a family really. Um, there are three brothers in the band, yes, so that yeah, does right. make it very family orientated. But we've always felt like sort of a family. We all grew up together, went to school together. So it's it's you know it's kind of it's a different model I think than than uh, a business that's just started up with a bunch of people that you know went to interviews and got employed. Yeah. Um, it's it's a different sort of animal. But um, I think, look, in the early days, um, yes, we just hung out all the time. In fact, you know, we used to share houses and all that sort of thing. But as uh, the life got busier and as the, the band became sort of more successful, you know, we grew up and all um, and started to start our own families and all that sort of thing. And so... For the most part these days, unless we're working, we don't really hang out, but we have obviously a lot of meetings or phone conferencing um, for, you know, discussion for whatever needs to be discussed, but don't necessarily hang out so much socially anymore. How, how many days a year do you travel? Um, it, it's, a real, it's a real mixture. I mean, we had, a, you know, a, virtually a couple of years off in 2008, 2009. Sure. Um, after touring the, the Switch album, so uh, it, it depends. But I mean, this year is fairly busy. I mean, we were out for most of January and uh, a couple of shows between then and now, and then we'll be out throughout June and July in Australia doing a, a regional sort of tour. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, you know, perhaps about a third of the year we're out. Okay. Well, that that that's not so bad, is it? That's yeah. Keeps yeah, you... it's terrible. And. Yeah. <laughs> 
Having three members of the one family in the band, I mean, it didn't work that well for Oasis, did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the Bee Gees it worked well for. There's, there's yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were three brothers, you know. Yeah, sibling um, rivals. Yeah, look, it's, it is an interesting anomaly. I, I think for the, mo- for the most part, it usually works, although... Um, I was thinking of uh, the Kinks. I think there's two brothers. I think yeah, they, they had a big yeah. falling out. It's uh, you know, look, it just depends on the people and the and the uh, the pressures and successes or not successes that they have. So, what's the next big um, step for In Excess, and what's the future hold for um, Kirk and Pengilly? Uh, well, at the moment, we're actually rehearsing uh, new material. Right. Um, we're right smack bang in the middle of rehearsals. Um, and uh, recently, about six months ago, we uh, enlisted a new singer, uh, a guy from Ireland called Kieran Grimmon, uh-huh. and he he'd actually sort of happened kind of organically. He'd just been writing with uh, with Andrew, our main songwriter, yes. yep. um, not necessarily for in excess or anything. And uh, we felt we'd sort of reached, uh, you know, as far as we could sort of take it with um, with JD, our last singer. Yes. And Andrew suggested um, that we try Kieran out, and which we did. And so it's been uh, it's been sort of the last six months been doing you know some small shows here and there um, to kind of test run it, and and now we're rehearsing up new material for this tour in June and July. Great. And for you, Kirk, what's what's anything? Uh, well, the- I'm pretty pretty sort of entrenched with uh, you know with, with the band's goings on at the moment, so. Um, nothing much planned other than whatever the band's doing. Right. You know, it's, it's fairly all-consuming at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always things going on. There's always uh, functions and things that Lay and I attend and charity things and uh, and whatever else. And I think she and I have locked in somewhere along the line uh, about a week up in Noosa at some point. A holiday. Wow. In Queensland. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, so good. Kirk, thanks very much for giving me the time today. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are, and just back from a tour, you want to settle down. You don't want to be doing too much. Yeah, that's fine. Kirk's a rock star with a great attitude, a terrific wife, and a very level head. And he likes to do the same stuff that most of us do when we have a break from work. I'll be back after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to the bob pritchard radio show to connect with bob please send an email to bob at bob that's bob at bob now back to the show Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard. This is the straight-talking, no-bullshit business show for entrepreneurs. And coming to you this week from my lovely hometown of Los Angeles. And this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners that are scattered all around the world. And uh, I love this segment because people follow me up and say, you know, even though we might be half a world apart, your advice applies equally to me as it does to somebody in North America. My first email today is from Jane Munro from Rockford 
in Illinois. And Jane writes, Dear Bob, I love your show. It seems that there is a dearth of programs on TV or radio that provide small business with practical, useless, <laughs> useful <laughs> information. Yours is certainly the best program that I've been able to find. I frequently hear stories about cause marketing campaigns, but I'm not quite sure what they are or how I go about getting involved in this and how it can help me sell more product. Thanks, Jane. That's, um, that's a pretty good question. There is a dearth of, um, business shows on, on television or radio that help small businesses. Um, you know, there's plenty of things like, um, Shark Tank that are aimed at, um, getting, from what I can see, uh, investment for established companies, but there's very little that show people how to actually do business. I mean, raising money is one part of it, but then actually getting a business and making it work something else. But for those of you who might have heard the the term cause marketing but don't quite know what it means or have absolutely no idea why you'd even think about doing it when you've got limited time and limited money, you think about print, electronic and digital media, you certainly probably um, cause-related doesn't come into your mind first, but let's see if I can help you out just a little bit. Now, I spoke last year in Paris at a cause marketing forum, and the testimonials from a whole range of companies, from very large to very small, were really fantastic. It does bring in great results if you think it through well and have a strategy. Now, cause marketing it encompasses a whole range of commercial activity that aligns a brand or a company with a cause. And you're aiming to generate business, make money for you, and also provide benefit to the cause and also to the community. So that's that's what you're trying to do. In other words, you know, cause marketing is a way to encourage your customers and your vendors or your business partners, to buy a specific product or service. And in the process, your business will donate a certain amount to a specific cause. Now, this then provides mutual benefit to your business and to the cause that you support. Jane, it's, it's been proven that um, consumers are more likely to purchase a product or a service if they know that a portion of those proceeds are going to go to a cause for which they care passionately. So um, when Geo was, um, every time you bought a Geo, they planted a 100 trees or whatever to save the environment. That got a lot of people who are environmentalists to buy Geos. That's going back a little while, but at least it gives you um, an idea. It Consumers want to do business with companies that share their values. So there's sort of proven parallels between company, the companies that give resources to the community and the tremendous goodwill, public relations and increased sales that they generate. Jane, cause marketing is a $1.62 billion industry, up from just $120 million in 1990. And 83% of Americans, on the latest figures I could find, want to buy products and services that support causes 
Almost 50% of consumers believe that companies should focus on issues that impact local communities. It's all about local businesses helping communities. So, and if you're already supporting causes that you care about with you know, time, money, skills or donations, then cause marketing is a way to combine your business goals with your personal growth and personal aims. Jane, to help you decide whether a, a cause campaign would be right for your business, you should first consider whether there is a cause that you and your employees are really passionate about. You know, it's always easier and more fun when you're excited about the work you're doing. So find an organisation that you and your employees all agree to support and more importantly, that you believe in and and ensure that the organisation's goals dovetail with your own business mission. Get involved directly with the organisation. I got involved with Kidney Health, an, an extremely serious health issue globally. And through my association, I became global ambassador for kidney health and recently was able to obtain a donation of several buses for them. And they're going to be converted to mobile testing units. So this is great for me personally, great for my business and certainly great for kidney health. The next thing you need to consider is what is it that you can give? You know, um, cause marketing works best when you can give more than just a donation. You could consider donating products and services or even giving your employees a day off to volunteer to help the organisation. Um, in my case, I was able to use my visibility and my contacts to obtain the buses and also volunteer my services to help host events and things like that. So one of the purposes of cause-related marketing, apart from being a good community citizen, is to generate business for the company. So it's critical that you determine ways for the company independently and also working hand-in-hand hand with the cause to leverage your involvement so that you can maximise marketing advantage. There's really plenty of proof that cause marketing can differentiate you from your competitors and provide you with very tangible sales benefits. Jane, a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my latest best-selling book, will be on its way to you tomorrow. It's also available if you want to buy it as an audio book. So don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you would like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You know, we're pleased to have been bringing you this show now since 2011. It's a heap of fun each week, and I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come each and every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a sensational week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.